Hello, podcast world. I hope you are all well. Maybe somewhere along the way you've heard this verse from the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. This idea that God is displeased with me because my faith is weak has haunted me for a long time. So let's talk about faith. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain. Let me say right up front that I owe much of this material to the late Marcus Borg, a progressive theologian that has had a huge influence on my life and that speaks of faith in several of his books, not the least of which is called The Heart of Christianity. For most of my Christian life, my view of faith has been quite limited or quite narrow, and I'm guessing that's true for many of us. So today I want to look at what faith is with a much wider lens and what I believe to be a much more biblical way of seeing this concept of faith. We use the word faith in quite a number of different contexts, which adds to some of the confusion, I think. Sometimes we use faith as a noun, kind of like a synonym for the word religion. If we say, what is your faith, we are really saying, what is your religion? I've done this for years. Long ago, I was taught that Christianity is not a religion, although I think it actually is. And so I didn't want to talk about our religion, so I spoke about our faith. I think that's pretty common, at least in the circles that I ran in. But we also use faith as a verb, and it's very closely related to believe or belief. We use the words pretty much interchangeably, as does the New Testament, actually. This idea of faith and belief is really central to Christianity. These words, faith or belief, show up in all but two of the books of the New Testament. Jesus told a number of people that it was their faith that healed them. Paul speaks of being justified by grace through faith. In Hebrews 11, which is where the verse comes from that I quoted in the beginning, it speaks of the fact that it was by faith that people like Noah and Abraham and Rahab and Enoch all pleased God. We're told in Corinthians to live or to walk by faith and not by sight. Paul and Silas told the jailer in Acts 16 to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, there's John 3:16, which says, whoever believes in him will be saved. Over and over, this idea of faith and belief is central to our Christianity so what is it, and how do I do it? For most of my Christian life, I believe that faith was about holding a certain set of beliefs about who God was and who Jesus was. There were certain non-negotiables that you had to give assent to to be a Christian. I was never part of a church that recited the creeds on a regular basis, but basically that is kind of it. 
You had to believe that God was Father, creator of heaven and earth, and that Jesus was the Son, who was born of a virgin and crucified and rose again to forgive us for our sins. What's not in any of the creeds, but the modern evangelical church has adopted over the years, has to do with the authority of Scripture, or in some places, inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. All of these things are to be believed if one is to be a Christian. And what seems apparent to me, although I don't ever think I was taught this in these exact words, was that I needed to believe things that I found really hard or even impossible to believe. I guess that kind of comes with the authority of Scripture. If one didn't believe in the miracles of Jesus, for example, or the fact that the Red Sea was parted, or that Elijah never died but was whisked away in a flaming chariot to the heavens, then one was not really a Christian. Faith was all about what I believed about God and about Jesus and about the Bible. In fact, we even have defined ourselves in this way. We call ourselves believers. We might ask someone, are you a believer? Meaning, are you a Christian? Or meaning, do you believe all the stuff I believe? When I limit the idea of faith to what I believe about God, then faith is just a head matter. It's, it's like an intellectual exercise. But prior to the modern period of Christianity, faith was not a head matter, but a heart matter. So I want to look at different ways that ancient Christianity saw faith. I'm going to come back to faith as a matter of what I believe about God, because that is part of it, but it's only a small part. And this is where I'm relying on Marcus Borg. He speaks of four different meanings of the word faith that are present in ancient Christianity. I think when we look at these four different kinds of faith, it brings much more clarity to the idea of living by faith or walking by faith that Paul speaks of. Borg uses the Latin names for each one of these in order to show their antiquity but I'm just going to look at the English versions. The four different meanings are faith as trust, faith as faithfulness, faith as vision, and faith as assent. Notice that all three, all those first three are heart issues. Only faith as assent is a head issue, but let's unpack each one. Faith as trust is about radical trust, not in statements about God, but rather radical trust in God. And those are two very different things. Soren Kierkegaard speaks of faith like floating in 70,000 fathoms of water. If you struggle, if you tense up and thrash about, you'll eventually sink. But if you just relax and trust, you'll float. 
The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors about who God is that encourage us to trust in God. So when it says that God is a rock and a fortress, it doesn't mean we should believe that literally, but rather that we should be able to trust in God as our protector. When the Bible speaks of God as a mother bear in Hosea, or a mother eagle in Deuteronomy, or a mother hen in the Psalms, of course, it's not saying that we should believe that God is an eagle, but rather that we can trust God to nurture and care for us like a mother does. It's all saying that we can trust in God. Now, in each of these four types, I also want to look at the opposite, because sometimes that helps us to see a little more clearly what this type of faith looks like. So I would suggest that the opposite of faith as trust is anxiety and worry and fear. Jesus often speaks about these things. Rick Warren always says that the phrase, fear not, or some version of that, shows up 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year, he says. I'm guessing he worked really hard to find exactly 365, but nevertheless, it's there a lot. Faith as radical trust in God has incredible transforming power against fear and worry and anxiety. When I speak about faith in God, it's not faith that my wildest dreams will come true. It's not faith that my desired outcome will happen if I just say the right words or believe hard enough. It's, that it's faith that God is. Faith that God is real, is present, that God is good, and because of all that, that I am enough. I can trust in God. I'm trying to learn this. My sevenness in the Enneagram puts me in what they call the anxiety triad. I worry a lot. I've only come to terms with this in the last five years or so. We sevens think of ourselves as carefree and worry-free. And to some, that's how it looks on the outside. But if we are honest with ourselves, we live with lots of anxiety. In fact, in the last weeks, I've realized that I carry a lot of fear. Really? Not me. But it's true. And so I'm trying to live with the mantra, trust over fear. And it helps. Faith as radical trust is transformative. It changes us. The second kind of faith that Borg speaks about is faith as faithfulness. Once again, it's not faithfulness to statements about God. It's not faithfulness to a creed or a church or a vision. It's more like a radical centering on God. Again, the opposite is helpful here. What's the opposite of faithfulness? Well, maybe it's infidelity or even adultery. 
When Jesus calls Israel a wicked and adulterous nation, that's exactly what he's speaking about, a lack of faithfulness. There's this rather strange and horrible story in the Bible about God commanding the prophet Hosea to marry Gomer, who was a prostitute, and who, after they were married, continued to do what prostitutes do. Now, we could spend a lot of time arguing about whether God would really command this, but that really misses the point. The story is about the pain and about the separation that comes when infidelity is in play. It's a story to encourage this kind of faith in all of us, faith as faithfulness. Another way to see this idea of infidelity, which is the opposite of faith as faithfulness, is in the word idolatry, which might even be more helpful. I don't have to tell you that the Old Testament is very negative on this idea of idolatry. The Ten Commandments itself, you shall have no other gods before me. Maybe the best way to understand idolatry, certainly in our context, is that it's an allegiance to something other than God. It's centering your life on something other than the divine. It's about being centered in something that is finite rather than being centered in the sacred. Being centered in God or the divine or the sacred is not easy because there doesn't seem to be a lot of certainty in that and we're all looking for certainty. So our ancient ancestors made statues, something they could touch and see. If God is like a mother eagle, then let's make a statue of an eagle. And then they began to worship that because if I can see it and if I can touch it, it just feels more certain to me. So what do we do in our context? Well, I think many would answer by saying something like money. Certainly, that could be an area of idolatry for many, or maybe our careers, or having just the right material possessions. All of these are pretty simple answers to the question of idolatry in modern times. But let me throw out one that I think is quite prevalent in the modern church today, among Christians today, a form of idolatry that is, in my opinion, killing us. It's being centered in the Bible rather than God. Now, I know for some that's a really controversial statement, but I think for many, their center, they, they think their center is God, but it's really the Bible. There was a day I would say, isn't that the same thing? But I don't think it actually is. When my center is the Bible, then everything that the Bible says about history or science or anything else has to be true, and it has to actually have happened exactly as it says. And if it isn't, my center is shaken. 
and I and I fall into this crisis of faith because that which I've centered my my whole existence on has flaws. Faith as faithfulness is about centering in God, not in what the Bible says about God. You see the difference? It's about centering in God, not in our church, or in money, or in possessions, or in the Bible, or anything else that might get in the way. So how do we do that? I think Jesus summed it up perfectly. He said, just love God and love people. I think that's what faith as faithfulness is all about. Jesus didn't say, interestingly enough, love God, love people, and obey the scriptures. He just says, love God and love your neighbor. And faith as faithfulness is about being faithful to that call. Thirdly, faith is understood as faith as vision. It's faith as a way of seeing what really is. It's about how we see the world, about how we see reality. And how we see reality dictates how we respond to the world. So how do you see reality? Borg suggests we all see it in one of three ways. We either see it as hostile and threatening, or we see it as kind of indifferent, or we see it as generous and life-giving. Let me unpack all of that a bit. Many of us see the world as hostile and threatening, and many see God as hostile and threatening. Some people love to talk about the fact that Jesus spoke more about hell than any other subject, which is not true, by the way, but we see God in a hostile and threatening way. If I don't live just right, if I don't pray the right prayer, I am doomed to eternal punishment, damnation, and torture. Politicians play to the fact that people see the world in this way all the time. A message of, they're out to get you, and I'm the only answer, is a standard political message. If you elect the ANC or the DA or the EFF, our country will be ruined. Or if you elect the Democrats or the Republicans, it will be the end of democracy as we know it. It's the same message, and it's playing on the fact that so many people see the world as threatening and hostile. Reality is out to get me. And so we live our lives a little bit, or maybe a lot, paranoid. We take this very defensive stand and posture toward life. The second way of seeing reality is indifference. And I think it's probably the most prevailing thinking of the secular world, although I realize that's probably a horrible generalization. 
But the thinking is that reality doesn't really care what happens to me or what I actually do. If there is a God or some kind of divine power, he or she or it isn't too concerned about what I do or don't do. And thus reality is just kind of indifferent. Nothing really matters that much. This way of seeing leads us to a really narcissistic way of life because if that's true, and if that's how I see reality, then I just have to fend for myself. Whatever I can get and whatever fun I can have in the process of that is all that really matters anyway. But there's a third way of seeing reality, and that is that it's life-giving and nourishing and gracious. I think that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about our worry and our anxiety. Let me read it to you directly from Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus as Matthew records them. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lily of the fields, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus is saying that God, and thus reality, is life-giving and nourishing and generous. And when I see the world in this way, it leads me to radical trust. It's impossible to trust if I see reality as hostile and threatening. It's impossible to trust if I see reality as really indifferent. The Apostle Paul says that this life of faith, or walking in the Spirit, to use his words, is a life of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. How we see reality matters. Faith is about seeing God and thus reality as life-giving and nourishing and generous. It's faith as vision to see the world differently. Finally, let's go back to where we started and talk a little about faith as ascent because it is part of what it means to have faith. What I give assent to 
does matter. I would just say it doesn't matter nearly as much as I thought it did. It also doesn't mean that I have to believe everything that seems impossible to believe. It doesn't mean that I have to believe everything my church says that I should believe. It doesn't mean that beliefs can't change or that I can't question or doubt. Faith as assent is important, but we must hold our beliefs lightly and with great humility. We must be willing at times to say, I was wrong. Here's what I'm trying to get at in all of this. Faith is not just about what I give assent to. It's not just what I believe about God or Jesus. Primarily, faith is about trust and faithfulness and vision. It's about how I see the world which leads me to trust and to faithfulness. If having faith is only what I believe about God, then I just better hope I have it all right. And so for me, I try to hold loosely to what I believe about God. And I lean into putting my trust in God and thus into a reality that is generous and gracious and life-giving and nourishing. I'm working to lean into a life of being faithful to love God and to love my neighbor because I think that is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And I think that when we do that, it makes God smile. So that's it for now. Please say hi on social media or email sometime. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you can help financially, check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash skip Collins. So until next time, we'll see you. Shalom.